my privilege to fill in over at Capital Public Radio from time to time on the Inside Program hosted by Jeffrey Callison. While serving in that capacity a year later, producer Benjamin Jonas Keeling and I got the idea that we may want to visit the Watergate scandal. I knew Dan Shore had some interesting things to say about that, and he agreed to come on the program, but we were uh, lucky enough to begin the show with probably the number one victim of the Watergate scandal, former Senator George McGovern the man whom the Democrats ran in 1972 against Richard M. Nixon. This excerpt begins when he talked about uh, the lack of good press coverage when that scandal started to break. Except for the Washington Post and uh, a couple of broadcasts by Walter Cronkite, and there may have been a few others, uh, very few members of the press corps gave that story the attention that it deserved. It was pretty much left to these two youthful uh, reporters who were actually on the municipal affairs desk, the Post, uh, to uh, break that story and to keep it alive. I think if the uh, major uh, television uh, networks and major metropolitan newspapers had got on that story with the uh, investigative power that I assume they had, uh, we might have cracked Watergate before the election. And, of course, I had a special interest in seeing that happen because I think the results of the 72 election would have been different if the public had known what Deep Throat knew uh, before November of 72. I have no malice towards uh, President Ford. As a matter of fact, I've always rather liked him. Uh, I don't have any uh, malice toward uh, Richard Nixon. I wish he were in the White House today instead of what we now have in the... uh, in the White House, but uh, he broke the constitutional oath that he took when he was sworn in, and that was his great mistake. You know, I've often thought, when I look at a president uh, or a presidential candidate, what are the most important questions uh, we should ask? What should we expect as a minimum? I think we expect them to keep their constitutional oath. When you're sworn in as a president of the United States, you hold up your right hand, you put your left hand on the Bible, and you swear that you'll be faithful to the Constitution of the United States. That's all. Nobody asks you to swear that you'll carry out your platform. A lot of people are hoping you won't carry out your platform. But Mm -hmm. at the very least, a president ought to heed his constitutional oath, and that's what Richard Nixon failed to do. Nixon did a lot of good things in the White House, the opening to China, the uh, detente policy towards the Soviet Union, launching the Environmental Protection Agency. He signed all those bills that Bob Dole and I sent over there to expand the school lunch and the food stamps and the WIC program. So he was not a total failure as a president, but he violated his constitutional oath. And the central lesson of uh, Watergate is do not do that. Do not violate the Constitution. We still don't know the full story of how after 9-11, that uh, terrorist attack, we ended up going to war against Iraq, which had nothing to do with the 9-11 attack. Uh, Saddam Hussein uh, is a miserable creature, as we all know, but he had nothing whatsoever to do with the 9-11 attack. So what are we doing going to war in the name of fighting terrorism with Iraq? 
you know, all during the 1980s and the Reagan administration, we backed Saddam Hussein because we thought he could serve as a barrier against possible Iranian penetration of the Gulf oil fields. He was our guy, not loudly, but quietly. He was the guy that we tilted towards uh, for 10 years. So here we are now with our American army stuck in a country of people dying every day, both innocent uh, Iraqis and these uh, young soldiers that we have over there, in a country that had nothing to do with the uh, terrorist uh, threat to the United States. John Dean, who for a while managed the Watergate cover-up for the Nixon White House, has compared the administration that he was a part of uh, to the current one. Dean has said that the impeachable offenses of the former have been equaled by the latter. Do you agree with John Dean? I do indeed. I think this war in Iraq is a violation of international law. There's nothing in international law that says you can invade and occupy indefinitely a country that has done nothing against you. Uh, ordinarily, uh, we, we, we go to war uh, when we're attacked. That certainly was the case after Pearl Harbor. But uh, uh, there, there was nothing that happened on 9-11 that was uh, out of Iraq. So that war uh, was waged, I think, in a clear violation of international law. I can't think of anything that Nixon did that's any worse than that. Senator, uh, we have to take a short break, but I, could you possibly stay over into the second segment with us? Well, I can stay for a while. All right. Our topic today is uh, what we might learn from a look back at Watergate and its famed anonymous source, Deep Throat. We're privileged to be joined by former Senator George McGovern, who is uh, remaining with us on the line. Joining us now is Daniel Shore. Mr. Shore carries the title of Senior News Analyst for National Public Radio, whereas he puts it, quote, I no longer devote my time to finding out what people don't want to tell you, but rather take what people have already told us and try and invest it with some meaning. Dan Shore performs his duty for Weekend Edition and All Things Considered. We're very pleased to have him join us today as we look back at the Watergate affair, which he covered for CBS. Welcome to Insight, Daniel Shore. Well, thank you very much, Douglas, especially if I can say hello to my old friend, George McGovern. Well, let, let me add, uh, uh, Daniel Shore's name should be added to the Washington Post and Walter Cronkite for doing everything possible to alert the country to what was going on in Watergate. I wish we'd had more people like that. Thanks, George. Mr. Shore, it appears that you suspected Mark Felt might be deep throat a few years back. What, uh, what pointed you in that direction? Well, that's true. As a matter, it was about uh, uh, five years ago. I went on the air on NPR and said that it now looks likely that Deep Throat was somebody high in the FBI, most probably Mark Felt, who was the associate director of the FBI. And what pointed me towards it was a, an, a very interesting article by Jim Mann in uh, Atlantic Monthly, uh, which uh, uh, Mann had been occupying the desk next to uh, Bob Woodward at the Washington Post and wrote that he heard him say, I got to get to my FBI source on this. And uh, one was able to figure out what the probabilities were there. Uh, I don't deserve any credit for this. Jim Mann was the one who really had that long before Mark Felt went public. 
There have been many attacks on anonymous sources of late. The Bush administration has called them a threat to the credibility of the media. USA Today's Al Newharth called them an, an evil in journalism. But in a recent column, Mr. Shore, you noted how uh, revelations of abuses of detainees in U.S. custody depended on such leakers and that these sources are, in fact, invaluable to a functioning media. Well, if you say leaking, it doesn't sound good. But if you say whistleblowing, it has a different aspect. And there has to be some way. I think that the First Amendment in the Constitution was designed so that the press would follow the government and find out what was going wrong there. And sometimes that would require the cooperation of somebody in the government who had a higher duty than merely a bureaucratic duty to a superior. If the superior wasn't obeying the Constitution, then somebody would have to do it for them. I am a great, obviously, a great supporter of the idea of confidential sources and leaks because they are a way of putting a check on people who otherwise would harm our country. Uh, former Nixon partisans like Pat Buchanan have denounced Mark Felt's role as a source for Bob, Bob Woodward. But uh, a question I would have for both I would, if I were, If I were Pat Buchanan, I would, too. <laughs> and it wasn't very good. It was Pat. <laughs> but I, I would ask the both of you, is the art of the leak not a fundamental method by which political ends are achieved in D.C., something practiced by all? That's probably true, but I, I fully agree with what Dan Shore has just said, that sometimes the only way we can find out what's going on inside the government is from someone uh, who knows what's going on to go to the press and release the uh, information. And, you know, for people like uh, Chuck uh, Colson and Gordon Liddy, both convicted felons, to be lecturing Mark Feld on what is the ethical uh, way to deal with your responsibilities in high office, I think is a bit much. Uh, I don't uh, criticize Pat Buchanan as much as I do these others uh, too. Pat's at least had a fairly honest uh, record, uh, but these uh, these other two complaining about what a uh, what a bum. Mark Felt was in revealing that information, I think, comes from a rather questionable source. George, let me bring you up to date. It was Pat Buchanan who got angry at me because I criticized a speech that he had written for President Nixon, and it was the one who had it arranged for me to be subjected to an FBI investigation in the hope of learning something dirty about me. That was Pat Buchanan. Is that right? Well, yep. you've, uh, as usual, you've educated me. <laughs> but you've done a lot for me and the country. Mr. Shore, you, you have this quote that I, that I just have to bring up because I love it. You said, my, my life is based on unnamed sources. Can, can we talk a little bit about how you narrowly avoided prosecution by the U.S. Congress for failure to reveal your source of a secret government report? Yes, I have to try to keep it short because it's a, on the whole a very long story. But to, to put it briefly, uh, the House Intelligence Committee was uh, investigating some of the terrible things that had happened in the CIA, like assassination conspiracies and such. And by the time they finished their report, there had become very controversial. The uh, House of Represent Representatives was induced by the Ford administration to suppress the report. As it happened, I had an advanced copy. Indeed, I had the only advanced copy and decided that I was, had the duty to see that it got published, which I then did. That caused an enormous row, and I was called before the House Ethics Committee, which demanded to know my source. 
I told them I couldn't tell them. They threatened me with a contempt citation and possible prison sentence if I didn't want to tell them. I told them I simply couldn't do it. In the end, the Ethics Committee voted six to five not to send me to jail. That's a remarkable story. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, on this program some months ago, we had on Ambassador Joe Wilson. He argued uh, that his wife's case was not so much a matter of whistleblowing in the public interest as simple political retaliation. I'd like to ask both of you how you would compare the situation of reporter Judith Miller being threatened with jail for not revealing who outed CIA officer Valerie Plame uh, in an apparent retaliation for her husband's challenge to the Bush administration to simply reporters naturally shielding their sources. George? Well, I think the uh, matter with Ambassador Wilson was purely a political punishment aimed at him. Uh, it uh, it was the uh, use of, of a violation of the confidentiality of, of central intelligence agency people uh, because she happened to have been married to uh, Mr. Wilson, who was the man that uh, exploded the notion that Iraq was trying to get uh, uranium out of the country in Africa. It was clearly a case of, uh, of political punishment of a person who'd had the uh, courage to tell the truth on a controversial issue. Uh, so uh, one doesn't have to argue that every leak is done for the purposes of enlarging the public's appreciation of the truth. Douglas, there is a special law that makes it a crime to reveal the identity of an intelligence agent who is working undercover. And Joe Wilson's wife was such an agent working undercover on matters connected with arms control. And although I assert the right wherever I get information uh, to use it in an international interest, if you convince me that there's a possible life or an agent at stake in this, you could talk me out of doing it. Nobody could talk Bob Novak out of it. And why, and why isn't Robert Novak more at the center of this controversy? I understand he's the original source of, of, the, of the story. Well, uh, he was the original recipient um, uh, of the information, along with a couple of other people who decided not to do anything with it. Uh, Bob decided to write a column about it and name the woman and let happen whatever happened after that. I simply assume that... Uh, he was. He found it too tempting a morsel to give up. And incidentally, Deep Throat never did anything like that. He never blew the cover on a on a uh, secret uh, intelligence agent or anything like that. He he simply told the truth of what was going on inside the government, and nobody has really been able to challenge that information successfully uh, since then. And, and are you both satisfied, by the way, that uh, this matter is settled? Because I understand John Dean and, uh, and New York Times correspondent Jim uh, Haugen and others have questioned whether there's more to the, the Deep Throat story than simply Mar W. Mark Felt. Well, there's no always more. And just, and just, and just the other day, um, the, the Washington Post carried another full two pages of detail on it, telling little things. But I don't think there's anything essential about it that we don't know. There's a lot of color and I can't wait for Bob Woodward's book on the subject. What we've learned from Watergate is that in protecting the country and the Constitution, 
you can't really always trust the President of the United States. It's a sad lesson to have to learn, but we've learned it. You're something of a rarity compared with the pundits which flood commercial broadcasting. Uh, does this have something to do with the Corporation of Public Broadcasting being accused of a liberal bias? And can you comment on the attacks on the Corporation for Public Broadcasting? Every once in a while there's an attack on public radio and or public television. There was one, Nixon did one, and Nixon managed to cut off the funds that, so that there was no longer a news program, a network news program uh, on uh, that President Reagan also took after public radio and television every now and then. And you have to assume that it's, it's a part of what goes with it. I don't know what people mean when they say that uh, the NPR, to speak of NPR particularly, that NPR is biased. I myself, if I detected bias, would be the first one to condemn it. But every time a couple of emails and letters come in saying that NPR is has not done right on the Israeli question or has not done right or this or that, I am reminded of the letter that my old friend and colleague Eric Seferi wrote, which read as follows, Dear Sir or Madam, are you aware that there is more biased listening than biased reporting? <laughs> and I would send that letter to a lot of people. Well, Senator George McGovern and uh, NPR's uh, senior news analyst Daniel Shore, thanks to the both of you. Goodbye, George. Good to hear you. Same, same to you, Daniel. I'll tell you, that moment over at CAP Radio where uh, McGovern and Shore are, are talking as two participants in history and old, uh, old pals, it's got to be one of my favorite moments ever in radio. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to Capital Public Radio for those excerpts. We're honored here to have been able to uh, help commemorate the passing of a great, great journalist. We shall not see the likes of him again. I understand there's also a nice commemoration over at National Public Radio, where, of course, uh, Shore used to join um, Scott Simon on the weekend edition. And for the full interview we conducted with George McGovern, Dan Shore, and also Bill Turner of the FBI, we refer you to their archives at capradio.org insight. Stay tuned now for Oral Fixations, something for your ears to chew on. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week at the same time.